Good afternoon. It's really an honor and privilege to be here and want to thank Bruce and Marlene for inviting us. And we've been praying for Nova Scotia for a long time. Over the last few months when we heard that we were being invited to come, we have a prayer team that's been praying for us. And uh, one of the things my prayer team shared last week is uh, that they felt the fire of God was going to fall on these meetings. And I believe that uh, the Holy Spirit wants to empower, encourage, and strengthen, and equip you, and empower you to do the works of Jesus. Um, I've been the pastor of Sunrise Christian Center for the last 32 and a half years. Uh, it's been 33 years. About last Sunday was our 33rd anniversary. I planted the church. We turned the church over to my son in January of this last year, and the church has not missed a beat. He's a good friend of Dr. Liss and John Rodhams and others. He, he Also, Eddie Lawrence, he calls him up and he says, Dad, they say the same things you do. I go, yeah, they're good men. <laughs> Sometimes people think their dads aren't as smart. You know, so they ask somebody else, they said, Dad, he said the same thing you did. And I said, yeah, we have the same Holy Spirit speaking to us. And uh, it's amazing how God does that. But um, I've been involved over the last number of years in apostolic ministry and traveling. And I always tell people about myself and our church, we're not very impressive. But the one who lives in us is incredibly impressive. And we want people to see Jesus. That's our whole purpose for living. My son sent me a video I started to watch. It fired me up good before the meeting about sheep amongst wolves. I don't know if you've heard, but in Iran, there's a huge move of the Holy Spirit going on in Iran. They say there's large sections of Iran where there's no one in the mosques because so many people have come to know Christ. And uh, they have to, you know, veil their faces and put their voices there. They said what the persecution did is it got rid of all the converts and only left the disciples. And so what's happening is people are becoming disciples and followers of Jesus all around Iran. So it's been very uh, special. I want to share something for a little bit, and then Dr. I'm going to turn it over to Dr. List. Uh, I've been on a journey for a lot of my life, and uh, God sent me back to school at 47 years of age. I complained at first, and then I went on a 11-year journey of getting my master's and my doctorate degree for one reason. God spoke to me. I didn't want to go back to school, but when God tells you to go back to school, you go back to school. And uh, he spoke to me out of Psalm 78, verses 70 and 72, and he said he called David out of the sheepfold from following the, uh, uh, those that had the, the uh, young. And he called David to shepherd his people, Israel, and to lead them. And because of the integrity of his heart and the skillfulness of his hands. So the father began to speak to me, and he said, right now the issue of your life is not the integrity of your heart but you have a big issue in the skillfulness of your hands. So I want you to go back to school to learn skills because you're not prepared to lead the people where I want you to lead the people. The good news is with church growth in any church, it becomes pastor growth. And uh, I love pastors because I know what they go through. I've been following Jesus for 44 years. One of my greatest passions is to empower pastors and leaders that most people have no idea what they do or what they put up with. One of my friends, they said, man, we pay you a lot to preach. And he goes, no, you don't pay me to preach. I love to preach. You pay me for all the other stuff I have to put up with. So we're going to pray, and we're going to share a little bit about leadership, about servant leadership. And I've written a book through my doctoral studies, and actually John wrote one of the endorsements, and Peter Wagner wrote the foreword for me, one of my spiritual fathers. And um, 
I want to focus today on supernatural leadership, but I'm going to share a little bit about servant leadership because part of being a biblical servant leader is to have supernatural leadership in your life. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this time. And as Dr. List and I share for a number of minutes this afternoon, I pray that you would anoint our ears to hear. And Lord, I'm praying and I'm going to speak and teach on Isaiah 54 to 7. It said that you, you were awakening Jesus' ear morning by morning, Father. He spoke with the tongue of the learned because he had his ears open to hear you every morning, Father. He saw you. And he walked out his day by direction from your Holy Spirit and direction to follow you and serve you. So, Father, I pray you to awaken our ears. I pray you to awaken the ears of New Glasgow and awaken the ears of Nova Scotia to hear what you want to do in this hour and this season, that the fire of God would fall again on the Nova Scotia church as it did in days gone by. There would be a revival that would be unparalleled in the human history of Nova Scotia through the men and women of this hour. You brought them to this place. You brought them to this time to do something supernatural. So, Father, we invite you to come through the power and the person of the Holy Spirit to move in our hearts, open our hearts to receive all you have for us, and may we be open to your leading and guidance in Jesus' name. Amen. So I did my studies. I, I realized there's the overarching principle of servant leadership, which is the first thing. And all biblical servant leaders are supernatural leaders, which is the second thing. The third thing is all servant leaders should have strategic leadership abilities. They should be able to strategize. They should be able to receive the strategies of heaven. The fourth thing is every good leader is a shepherd leader. They're caring for the people they're leading, or they're not going to be a supernatural leader, a servant leader. They're also... Uh, I find a lot of times we've not taught people situational leadership. What do you do when there's conflict? What do you do when there's problems? What do you do when some people want to move forward and some people don't? How do you how do you navigate that as a leader? How do you lead people along? How do you plant seeds and help people come along to where God wants them to be? And then there's sacrificial leadership. To be a leader in the kingdom, you're going to sacrifice. I realized a long time ago that, you know what, um, he called us to give up all. And our life is no longer our own, it's his. And when I met some of the underground church fathers, when I met some of the persecuted believers from around the world, and, you know, I look at North America and I look how we just kind of add church on and uh, kingdom responsibilities and following Jesus with football games and baseball games and our busy schedules and the mall and recitals and all those things. None of those things are bad in themselves. But many of the believers in many of the other nations, they're, sacri they're going out the door realizing I might not come home tonight as I follow Jesus, and they're not backing down. And so I've had a privilege of meeting some of my heroes. God's just done some crazy things. Maybe we'll share some of those encounters I've had with some amazing people that have challenged my faith. And it's going to be a cost to be a leader. And then the last is strong leadership. When are we to be strong leaders? Because there's times as Christians that we have to be strong in our leadership, and one of the keys that the Lord Jesus gave me, I believe he spoke it to me, was I studied why did he get mad and tip over the tables? Why did he say the things that he did to the religious leaders? And why, why did, you know, because we've got this kind of picture of meek and miley Jesus, you know, way back, you know, walking around going, peace be unto you. And, you know, but there's times he tipped over tables. He's decided, why did you slither down to the river to see me? And, and I realized, I think a key, the only time I realized he was strong as a leader when anybody messed with the mission the Father gave him to do. And I got, at that time when God spoke to me, I had a passion that I want to ignite. I believe that uh, Pastor Bruce and Marlene have a mission to ignite Nova Scotia. 
and and my mission is to empower people to get about their mission and to be so involved with the mission that God's given them that nothing will deter them from the mission God's given them. And I'm going to be 66 two weeks from today, so I, I'm, I tell people I don't have time to mess around. I don't have time. I've, I've got enough in me now that I'm a little bit dangerous. So I said, you know what? It's time that we get about the Father's business because there's a world out there that needs Christ. So I'm going to share uh, five things in a way that I, I like to have things simple because I'm simple. And I find we pay theologians a lot of money sometimes to make simple things complex. And I found out that Jesus was very simple, very direct, very straightforward in what he told us to do, that even a child can understand what he said often. So we're going to look at supernatural leadership. In the 21st century, I, I believe God's raising up supernatural leaders all around the world, as he is in Nova Scotia. Uh, my background is I w had two nervous breakdowns at the age of 21. I lost my mother when I was six years old in a tragic car accident. My father became an alcoholic and a womanizer, was a well-known uh, lieutenant colonel in the Army. He was a psychologist. He was the city mayor in our city. He was in all the who's who of every book. He was a 4.0 chemistry student. He was a 4.0 psychology major, PhD in psychology, and practiced and taught in universities and all kinds of things. You, you name it, he did it. But his life was a mess emotionally. When my mother died, a lot of him died. He married three of his worst patients. So I grew up in four different families. My last mother was younger than me by many, many years. Um, so it's, it's interesting what God does. So in the middle of my second nervous breakdown, God spoke to me at my grandparents' house and said to go read a book. Well, I thought I was having another nervous breakdown. So I walked down the stairs, and there on the bookshelf was the cross and the switchblade. I picked it up, and I read it. My life was instantly transformed. I got saved. I got delivered from drug addictions, alcoholism. I was, I'd been loaded for 38 days straight. I'd gone into blackouts. My father actually was a, the head of the Monroe Valley General Hospital Treatment Center for Alcoholics. I uh, was also part of Alcoholics Anonymous. He got saved at, at about 70 years of age. It was fun to watch him. So one of the things that the Lord's led me into over the years as I studied the Bible, as I started to walk with him, immediately I began to receive words of knowledge to pray for people, to see the sick get healed. It's been a normative of my life. And then in about the 1970s towards the late, I had a few encounters with uh, John Wimber. He prophesied over me, and he made a huge impact on my life by teaching me one principle, that Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. And he lived by... Um, only by the revelation the Father gave him. And as I studied, I realized a lot of that came from his early morning prayer times, according to Isaiah, that God awakened his ear to hear what his assignment was. That's why he knew the woman was at the well. And really the key to supernatural leadership is, first of all, I, I'm just going to make it easy. I want to put some super in your natural, so I'm just going to use an acrostic, S-U-P-E-R, make it real simple. So there's five things that will help us if we're going to be supernatural leaders. The first thing, if we're going to be supernatural leaders, we're going to have to be a leader that seeks God. A leader that seeks God. And I find that many leaders and many people in the kingdom don't have time to seek God. And so I tell them, then make time. Put it in your schedule. I've had a practice that for my Christian life that I spend at least an hour every morning alone with the Lord. Uh, I spend time worshiping him. I, I spend time then praying for my family. I also read uh, two chapters of the Old Testament and one chapter of the New Testament every single day. I've done that for over 40 years. People say, what's the secret to your life? I said, it's spending time with him. So if you're going to be a supernatural leader, and I am, we need to spend time in the Lord's presence. 
to be intimate with him. I love what Paul said. He said in 1 Corinthians 2, he said, when I came to you, I didn't want to come with the wisdom of men's words, but I wanted to come to you in the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. In the last days, it said there'll be men and women that have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. And I don't know about you, but I love to watch the power of God operate. I love to watch God's power move on people and save them and deliver them and show up and cure incurable diseases and put body parts in people. It's fun when God does supernatural. I just, I just love it. And I don't make any apologies for it. And people want to, I've had people say, have you seen anybody? Have you actually seen a miracle? I said, yeah, I've seen lots of miracles. They said, how many? I said, thousands. They go, who do you think you are? I said, I'm not very impressive, but I'll tell you, the one who lives in me, he's incredibly impressive. He does this stuff. And he just shows up and he ministers. And the gospel is full of power. The simple gospel of Christ is full of power. And we've got off on all these other things and, you know, people talking about, oh, you know, they went and woo-woo this and woo-woo that. And I said, there's power in the simple gospel of Jesus to transform lives, to save people, heal people, deliver people, and fill people with the Holy Spirit. So if, we were, if we're going to be ones that seek the Lord, it's important that we spend time with him. In Daniel 11.32, it says this, They that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. So the more we spend time in his presence, the more we develop an intimacy with him. It's amazing what happens. It says of Jesus in Isaiah 50, verses 4 to 7, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened up my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. So it says that morning by morning, the Lord Jesus spent time with the Father, and he spoke with a tongue of learning because he only spoke the things that the Father told him to speak. And see, the more we wait on the Lord, we more we hear his voice, the more we listen for him. And yes, I pray and I talk to him, but I, I like to spend a lot of time listening. And if we're going to be a supernatural leader, I don't want the people to hear the wisdom of men's words because the wisdom of men's words sound really wise sometimes. I remember I used to say things like, oh, you know, who cares about the wisdom of men's words? They're not very powerful. I was saying that once, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, don't ever say that again. And I said, why not? Because he said, look at the scriptures. And I, he told me to go into 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, and I studied them. And it says that the words of men's wisdom can make the power of the cross of no effect. And see, that's one thing that's happened. We've got people's hearts, and we've captured their hearts in our generation, but we've lost their minds. And they've, got, they've been swayed by all kinds of other intellectual ideas and things. But we need to get back to the power of the gospel. We need to get back to the power of God. And them seeing the demonstration. See, when people see the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit, it changes their life. And I, I'm excited about what's going to happen these next three nights here. I'm glad that we're starting out here in uh, this venue. Because God's going to speak to people's hearts. I remember one time when I was worshiping, I have a dear friend, Dr. Matthew Thomas from Atarsi, India. He's uh, on a bunch of boards and on the Oral Roberts University board. A very godly man, an incredible man of faith. And I've been with him in India 11 times. And uh, the, the time before last, or a number of times before, I was worshiping the Lord before the evening service. And if you have a word of knowledge in Dr. Thomas's church, it better happen or you won't speak again. That's kind of the way Dr. Thomas is. So... Uh, 
we were worshiping the Lord before the evening service and just being intimate with him. It says in Acts 13, as they ministered unto the Lord and worshiped him, the Holy Spirit began to speak. The teachers were there. The prophets were there. Um, Saul and Barnabas was there. And after this encounter with God, Saul and Barnabas are released in their apostolic ministry. All of a sudden, from that moment on, he's no longer Saul, but he becomes the Apostle Paul through the impartation of one meeting with God as they were waiting on him to hear his voice. So we were worshiping the Lord in his upstairs. There's a number of people in North India. Many of his students have been martyred for their faith. I've had the privilege of teaching some of them. It changes your life forever when you realize they went out and got killed for believing in Jesus. And uh, it makes you be very clear that you're teaching the gospel and not just giving them some nice little North American, you know, ditty of how to, you know, how to feel joyful for three weeks in your life or that you're talking to people that they're going to risk their lives for their faith, that they might literally lay down their life. So we're worshiping the Lord. The Lord's presence come down, we're weeping, and all of a sudden the Lord speaks to me and says, out of this intimacy with him, he says this. He said, tonight I'm going to heal someone that's deaf. That's all he said. And I've learned I don't need any other information unless he gives it to me. So that night as I preached, I just said at the end, Dr. Thomas, you have a word of knowledge. I said, there's somebody here that's deaf. I don't know who they are, but we're going to pray for them. I believe God's going to heal them tonight. So this, they brought up a five-year-old little boy that had been born deaf with his mother and his sister, and I prayed for him. I found out after that that he was instantly healed. And so when he this was when he was five years old. He became a believer. He was a Hindu. His mother became a believer because of the encounter, and his sister. His dad's not saved yet. Now fast forward 12 years later. It's this last year. It's 17 years. He's 17 years old. I'm sitting in the front of the church to get ready to speak, and Dr. Thomas walks up with this young man and says, you recognize him? And I looked and I said, uh, I don't think so, but it sounds from your voice like I should. And he goes, this is the little boy that you prayed for when he was five. He's been hearing for 12 years. He's now the sound man that runs all the sound for all our ministries in the college. Isn't like God, a deaf boy. And the fun part was that night before he left the church. And I, you know, you start to cry when, you know, people say, oh, Aren't you? I said, no, I give Jesus all the glory for anything he does. I'm not impressive, but he is incredibly impressive. And I'm just so blessed to know. Here's a, see, this is what miracles do. It's not about theological things. It's about people's lives being transformed. And I love theology when we study God for who he is. And he's a father that delights to touch his children. He delights to heal. And the power of the cross, you know what? It's amazing what happens when we tell people who Jesus is and demonstrate and um, we've, I've seen a lot of those types of things over the years. So I'm excited about what's going to happen and what God's going to do. And I think that it's important that we pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation like Paul did in Ephesians uh, 1, 15 to 23, for the hope of his calling, for the inheritance amongst the saints and the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. The church, once again, needs to be baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit. And what happens is people get touched, people get healed, people get saved, drug addicts get delivered, marriages get restored. We have a thing we started a number of years ago called Man Prayer. Dr. List and I are there. We have between usually uh, 60 to 80 men that show up every Friday morning. It's been going on for years. They circle the sanctuary after we spend 20 minutes alone in prayer. Then we get a microphone and, and they circle the sanctuary and they begin to pray. They begin to prophesy. We now have prayer requests coming from other nations. Other man prayer groups have started in five nations. We've never asked anybody to join. And when men begin to pray like that, when men begin to prophesy 
And then after we all get in the big group, then we get them in a small group. And these men pray for each other, encourage each other. And, and, and wives come in and say, what did you do to my husband? I said, I didn't do anything to him. I said, the Holy Spirit did. But, you know, you get around a bunch of men that are on fire. They start every Friday. They've been praying. Right now it's, uh, what, at home it's 12.50. But early this morning I got up and was ready to go eat for lunch. They were, I knew man prayer was praying for me. And they pray for things, and things happen. And when we say, God, grant us the spirit of wisdom and revelation, many of them are businessmen. Many of them are politicians. We have city council members that come and ask us to pray for issues. We have nations that send us prayer requests. One man began to administrate it, and he starts to send out prayer requests. So I'm here, I'm getting prayer requests for people's needs, and we pray. And then often within 24 hours or 48 hours, there's already been an answer to the prayer. It ignites a fire in people to realize your prayers make a difference when we join and unite together. So I want to encourage you, if you're going to be a supernatural leader, that you spend time in the Lord's presence and start to get around people who want to spend time in the Lord's presence and supernatural things begin to happen. It's really, really important. So that's the yes. Better move on quick here. You. I don't know about you, but Acts 19, I love what uh, Dr. Luke said. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. Now, if there's unusual miracles, what does that mean? There's usual miracles. I've had the privilege of going five times to Indonesia. I'll be going back in March. And you know what's amazing? When when God moved and did the mighty thing that he did in Indonesia a number of years ago, they showed up and said, well, we heard these stories about all these wonderful miracles that were happening. and We came here to see all these unusual miracles. And they go, there's no unusual miracles here. They said, well, we heard people got raised from the dead. And they go, that happens all the time. And we heard that people get healed of sickness. Oh, no, that's not unusual. That happens here all the time. And at first, the person thought, oh, this guy wrote this book, you know, about a rushing mighty wind. There wasn't any, he's just telling this story. And they said, oh, those are unusual. Those things happened all the time during that move of the Spirit. You know what? God's waiting for a people who will believe him for miracles, who will believe him for what his word declares. And people that are sick, they need healing. People that are bound by demonic forces and evil spirits, they need deliverance. People that are not saved need to get saved. At lunch today when uh, Bruce took us out to, and John Rodham was there and the waitress was at the restaurant, he said, is there anything we could pray? And she said, uh, yeah, she said, I'm kind of in a hurry. Uh, I'm in transition. And I could see her get a little teary-eyed. And she said, yeah, you can pray for me. And then, you know, John shared how he does that and he started to pray. And as, as I saw her, the tears in her eyes, the Lord spoke to me. And so there's disappointment in her heart. And so when she came back, she came back a little bit later to bring the food. And I said, excuse me, I don't know if you have a little time now, but it would be all right if I prayed for you. I said, what is the transition? I sense there's some disappointment in your heart. And she said, well, I moved here because of a guy and we broke up. And I'm, it's, you know, I don't know what to do now. And, and so I said, would it be all right if I prayed for you? And we're just eating lunch. And she said, I said, could I have your hand? Just very gently reached out and grabbed her hand. She let me pray for her right there, and she started to tear up again. So you're starting the discipleship process when you just reach out and pray for someone like that. We make evangelism this big heart. Oh, we've got to evangelize the city. You just Everybody you come in contact with, you just begin to love them. You begin to reach out to them. You begin to pray for them. And God will give you words of knowledge. You'll, you'll lay hands on people, and you'll know things about people. No wonder, why did you know something? And we're believing God for unusual miracles. My son on Easter decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take Acts 19 and we're going to make handkerchiefs. Ain't no grave. We're going to make ain't no grave handkerchiefs. And he welcomed people to Easter Sunday. And we had a big thing where we gave out handkerchiefs. Said, if some of you know can't be here, put this on them. 
He said, we're not making this like a ritual or some weird thing. You're not paying money for the handkerchiefs. And it came from the song, Ain't No Grave. It was written by a man from Kentucky. He was a young man. He was ready to die. And when he was supposed to be dead, his parents came home thinking he was dead. When, he, when they came home, he was playing his guitar singing, Ain't no grave, going to hold this body. And he got, he got touched by God. Went all over the Ozarks declaring that Jesus raised him up from his deathbed. And that song has been popularized again now by Bethel Music. And actually one of the well-known country singer's do, uh, granddaughter brought it back up. And, so, and we've had wild stories for the last two months of people that got these handkerchiefs. And one of the men who, who led the fastest growing company in our county said, I'm going back to see my dad. He's really sick. He's one of those gruff old Pittsburgh guys that smoke cigarettes and is Catholic and says, you know, doesn't always use God's name the right way. And, and he said, I'm, I'm going to go back and see him. He said, um, John, do you think I could get one of those handkerchiefs before? So he goes back and said, Dad, this is what's happening. I know you don't kind of understand. I've become Pentecostal. I'm spirit-filled. You might think this is crazy, but they prayed over this cloth, my pastors, and we know you're sick and you need to be healed. And, and make a long story short, he, he puts it on his dad, and his dad says, he starts weeping. He says, I feel something going through my body. He goes, the pain is going away. What's the matter? And Here's all of his family in here with him, extended relatives, and they're thinking he's going to die. He's not dead. And, and, he, and he starts saying, blank God. <laughs> and, you know, he goes, oh, this is God. He goes, God is doing this. And, and then he's sitting there, and, and he looks at and tells them, and, and then he says, do any of you have a need? And, and his one niece is, a, is a, one of those mixed martial arts people you see on television that beat people up with, you know, and she goes, well, you know, I've been doing mixed martial arts, and I got a bad shoulder and an elbow. And so, well, let's put the cloth on. Like, he goes and lays the cloth on her, and she goes, what is that? She goes, my arm's hot and my shoulder's hot. And she goes, oh, I feel so good. What is this? And he goes, you're being healed. She goes, I haven't been able to do this for, for a long time. I, I think I've been healed. And then he looks at the other and said, do you need something? She goes, well, I don't need a physical healing. She said, but that's my mom right there, and we don't talk to each other, and we hate each other. And he said, well, can I put this cloth in? She goes, yeah, try it if it'll work. But they started crying and weeping, and they both, they both fell in each other's arms. They hadn't talked to each other for years, and they said they forgave each other, and they got back reconciled all by one little encounter. See, that's what happened in the book of Acts with people that were just willing to reach out and touch people and love people. And, you know, and we have so many you know, hoops people want to jump through and do this stuff. And I look at them and say, you know, you can just pray in the name of Jesus and love people and pray for people and encourage people and things start to happen. And God starts to move. So believe God for unusual miracles. The book of Acts is full of all the unusual miracles of God. And I love to see unusual miracles. I'll share with you some of the things that have happened. One of my favorites was a, a gal. I was going to the Philippines to minister, and before I left, she was diagnosed that her kidney and bladder had literally um, disintegrated inside. They gave her drugs, said, we're sending you home to die. Uh, she was in a fight with her uh, mother and stepfather that could kind of be religious, so I let Pastor Dan pray. So I just prayed for a quick little prayer before I went to the Philippines. I watched her. A uh, 13-year-old son at the time sitting on the bed realizing he wouldn't have a mother. His dad had already forsaken the family. And, and I just got compassion. I thought, Lord, this, this boy is not going to have a, a dad or a mother. And he's 13 years old. And, and I something welled up and I started to cry and just prayed with her a simple prayer in the name of Jesus. And make a long story short, when I get back from the Philippines, I, there's a phone call. I said, Pastor Dan, i got to meet with you. I've got to meet with you. And I said, okay. So she came and she said, Pastor Dan, the head specialist at the University of Washington Medical Center 
He, she said, I had lupus. I had no kidney. I had no bladder. It rotted inside me. I had 27 autoimmune diseases. And from the time you laid hands on me, she had bloated up about twice her size. She was a Hispanic uh, woman. And she said, I've been totally healed of all these things. And what really astounded the doctor is I have a new kidney and a new bladder in my body. She's still alive today, about probably 15 or 20 years later. I'm not real good on timelines. Things just seem to go faster and faster the older you get, especially when God's doing things. She's still an incredible woman of God serving God. And the head specialist at the University of Washington Medical Center, he said, he set his hand down on the examining table and began to weep and said, in 43 years of being a doctor, I've never seen anything like this. I don't know about you, but that's what I live for. He said, there is a God in heaven. There's a God in heaven. And that's what happened when Jesus did miracles. All of a sudden, they were amazed at who Jesus was. I tell people, don't be amazed at us because we're not very amazing. But Jesus is incredibly amazing. And it says, these signs shall follow them believe. In Mark 16, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall be recover, and they shall cast out devils, and they shall uh, speak with new tongues. And I love to see people baptized in the Holy Spirit, because when they get baptized in the Holy Spirit, they get on fire for God. So I want to encourage you, if you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we're here to pray for you to receive. It's unusual what begins to happen. And God uses, I believe, the fivefold ministries coming back to the forefront of the church because we've pushed it aside in many circles. It's a biblical principle. And yes, there's been many people who've done controlling, dominating things, but it doesn't negate the truth of the Scripture that God said, first of all, he said apostles, secondarily prophets, and they were all given to be servant leaders to equip the church to raise up the people, not to be a top-down pushing people down, but to be underneath lifting people up to be part of the foundation. And the only foundation they can lay is Jesus, but they build people up, they equip people, they empower people, they watch people move into signs and wonders and miracles. And they ignite the church and equip the church. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, that, that truly the signs of an apostle were wrought by me in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. So we want to see unusual miracles. We want to see miracles. We want to see the power of God demonstrated. Canada and America need an awakening. We need the power of God. We need the presence of God to come. And I believe there's a people of God that are going to rise up in North America that are going to call on God. They're going to see an intimacy with the Lord. They're going to see supernatural things begin to happen because they spent an intimate time with Jesus and they're believing God to do what the Bible says. And we're here to equip the saints. Thirdly, P, the, the S-U-P, to add some super to your natural, stands for power. The kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. So we've gotten very wordy in the church, especially North America. We've become very intellectual. One of my friends, Dr. Thomas, once people said, oh, we want deeper messages. And he realized, the more I tried to teach deeper messages, the less power there was. And the simple gospel is so powerful. The simple message that Jesus loves people, that he came to die for sinners, that we exalt his name and we lift him up. It's powerful what begins to happen in people's lives when they have an encounter with Jesus. And P stands for power. It's the power of God. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can even ask or think according to the power that works in us. And he wants his power to work in us so it can work through us. I say the Holy Spirit sometimes with some believers gets Holy Spirit cabin fever. He wants, he's in you because he wants to get out of you. He's in you because he wants to get out of you for you to touch waitresses and touch your neighbors and touch your family and touch your friends. 
My mother-in-law was a Catholic all of her life. She went to Mass at least once, sometimes twice a day, every day of her life. My wife and I led her to Christ at 95 years of age. She remarried after being a widow for 20 years. She married a man. We were kind of wondering why did she get married after being a widow for 20 years. At 88, she got married. She lied to him and said she was 85. <laughs> I found out because at dinner one night, he goes, he was three years younger than her. He goes, or four, well, I guess five years younger than her. He said, uh, Reverend Hammer, I'd like to ask if I could marry your mother-in-law. And I said, well, her daughters are all here, and I'm just her son-in-law. You better ask them. And they go, Mom, you've been a widow like 20-some years, and you're in good health. And he's not in very good health. And he was sitting there. goes, okay, I won't marry her. And I'm not. And they were like, what are we going to do? And I said, well, if she wants to get married, she's like, you know, she's old enough to get married. <laughs> and she, and I, well, she, I said, well, she's 88. He goes, 88? You told me you're 85. <laughs> Make a long story short, God started to move on him. And one day he said, hey, he said, Pastor Dan, I think, I, I think I'm getting spiritual. I read that Rick Warren. Have you ever read that Rick Warren book? And I said, yeah. And he goes, and one day we went down and, and I just told him the simple gospel and I told him about Jesus at 90 years of age, dying of cancer. And he surrendered his life to Jesus. And he was sitting there just crying. He goes, boy, I just feel like the weight of the world. And then he started telling all his Catholic family members, don't go to our church. They don't have any power. Go to Dan and Terry's church. They have power in their church. Our church doesn't have, and I, it was almost embarrassing. I, I, you know, we're not against the Catholic church. We're not. There's many great believers in the Catholic church. But when you just love people and pray for people and encourage people, and they see that Jesus is in you. They need to see through us to see who lives in us. I don't want them to see us. I want them to see him. But you've got power in your life. And he, you know what? We can walk in the power of God. I love what Winston Churchill has said. I don't care what a person says or a man says. I watch what they do. And the world is watching what the church does. The world's watching for believers to rise up. The world's watching for us to move in, in power. And I believe there's going to be a release of power through the uh, meetings in the next three nights. I believe God's power and presence is going to come. E stands for evangelism. If we're going to be supernatural leaders, we need to be involved in making disciples. We need to be involved in preaching the gospel. We've been given a mandate. Uh, one time my I was in, going to Korea, and I got there, and I thought, Lord, I've been traveling all the world. I'm, being, I'm going to be in Korea for 17 days. I'm going to preach morning, noon, and night. I'm going to prophesy. I'm going to pray over people. I'm going to... I want to be with my wife. I want to be home at my church. I miss my kids and my grandkids. I'm sitting there before the 17 days of doing this over and over. It's kind of like Groundhog Day. Dr. List has been there. And they, they, they just suck everything. I love the Korean people. And I'm sitting there, and the Lord speaks to me. He said, Dan, your life's not your own. Remember you told me that. And yes, you could be home with your wife, but I've called you. And somebody started the music before this, the seminar started, and it's, for the sake of the world, burn like a fire in me. Light a flame in my soul for all the world to see. I told my wife once, she said, sweetheart, you're 60. You know what? I'm just I'm just young like Bruce and Marlene. They're just getting going. These are the best and the finest years of their life. You know what we've done? We've pushed, we pushed gray-haired people away. And God wants to raise some of you. He wants to send you to mission fields. He wants to send you to cities. He wants to send you to prayer meetings. He wants to send you to schools. I get invited to do things with youth and young people and kids. And you know what? I just want the life of Jesus to spread out on everybody. And you can be used to evangelize. You can be used to touch people with the gospel. You can be used to minister evangel 
evangelistically through serving. And signs and wonders will follow as we preach the gospel. And amazing things begin to happen. But we want to make disciples. We want people to become followers of Jesus. And they do that when we pour our lives out for them and through them. And the joy of watching someone become a disciple and a follower of Jesus, there's no joy greater than that, is there? So how are you doing in evangelizing or reaching out to people? I want to give Dr. List plenty of time, so I'm kind of condensing here. You study the book of Acts, it's all about making disciples. And if I tell our church, if we're not making disciples, if, if I look around and I don't see disciples being made, something's wrong. John Wimber used to call it playing basketball without hoops and balls. There's a lot of cheering, a lot of stuff, but nobody's making any baskets. And I, I like to see disciples made. When I look around the church and I say, yeah, five years ago that man and his wife were ready to get a divorce, and now they're followers of Jesus. They're going to mission fields. They're laying hands on the sick. Um, they're being used. This business person now has four businesses they're affecting. They're starting a church in the Philippines, and um, I've been mentoring the husband, and he wasn't saved when he came, and now he's saved and got filled with the Holy Spirit. And now they're going into Hawaii. They're building uh, churches in the Philippines. She's Filipino. He's Chinese. And when I look around to see that, that's, that's what excites my heart, is they're being equipped to do the ministry, not equipped to sit and look at the back of someone's head. And it's amazing what happens. And the last thing, R, if we're going to be supernatural leaders, don't turn it over to Dr. List, stands for releasing the saints. If we're going to be supernatural leaders, our job is to equip the saints. I've had some unusual encounters, and about eight years ago, a bishop from the Philippines, Bishop Frank Santos from Tarlac First Baptist Church, probably the most spirit-filled Baptist I've ever met in my life, he showed up in my office unannounced, came in my office, fell on his knees, and started to cry. And said, Pastor, I'm one of the G12 leaders over the nation. I, we know how to disciple people. He said, but I heard about the power that came when you came, and we don't have power like that. He said, I'm pleading you, will you come? Will you come to my city and will you teach us how to move in power? And I mean, what are you, what are you supposed to say to that? I mean, here's a man, he's flown over from the Philippines, he's in my office, he's crying. I've been, my son and I have been there now eight times over the last eight years. He asked me seven years ago to be a spiritual father to him and pour my life into him. And that's what I live for. We need to release the saints. We need to release the people of God to do the work of the ministry. Apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic pastor, it doesn't matter if you have titles or you know name tags or you have a big organization. If you're not equipping the saints, you're not an apostle, you're not a prophet, you're not an evangelist, you're not a pastor, you're not a teacher to the degree that you should be. What you should really be doing is, is equipping the saints. How do we do that? It's really interesting how it happens. I found these three things. We recognize how someone's gifted and how someone's called. One of the great deals of a leader is to recognize in people what God has put into people and then to draw it out of them and empower them to find out what is the gifts, the callings that God's put on their life. The gifts and callings of God, it says in Proverbs 18, 16, is without repentance. Or is, excuse me, it says that in Romans. It says in Proverbs 18, 16 that a man's gifts or a woman's gifts makes room for them and brings them before great men. And so what happens when you realize, when someone is a Christian realizes what their gift is, it helps them know what their destiny and how they develop those gifts and how they grow. So we recognize people and we start to speak in their life. We start to call out their greatness. We start to call out what we see and then we start to partner with them and champion them going out and doing what God called them to do. Secondly, we raise them up by helping them develop 
their strengths and overcoming their weaknesses. And we begin to we begin to fan into flame those things that we see in them. And sometimes we impart spiritual gifts according to Romans 1.11. Paul said, when I come to you to share our mutual faith, I don't only just impart uh, that. I want to impart to you spiritual gifts so that you may be established. There's an establishing in believers' lives when they realize, you know what? I've received an impartation. I can move in this gift, and God wants to use me supernaturally. And the last thing is we release them into their own Great Commission assignment. Every week in our church, there's people coming home from nations and people leaving for nations. Many times I don't even know they've been gone now. They come back and say, oh, pastor, I was in, I was in Lebanon. I go, you were, when? you were just here two weeks. Oh, I left. I, I did a mission trip. We were, I said, why didn't you tell me? He said, well, you're busy. And I was talking to somebody back there and I forgot to tell you. We had people in Israel this last week. They just came back from Israel. My, my daughter was involved with the Glow International. She uh, helped lead 900 people into, uh, into Israel this last week. Uh, my son's the pastor. My other son's a computer animator who's given his life to many Christian projects. They won the best computer animation game in 2015. They won an award in London, England. From a little boy, we realized he was going to be an animator. God just supernaturally got him involved with the man that was the considered the only man mentored by the grandfather of all the Disney artists. His name was Tony White. And my youngest son's so quiet and so introverted, we didn't even know until he went to his graduation. He graduated in a Two and a half years, a four-year program in animation. He, he came up to us at the graduate said, Tony White would like to meet you. And I said, who's Tony White? And he goes, he's kind of like the Tiger Woods of animation. And I go, but who is he? He goes, oh, he's been mentoring me for the last two and a half years. We're like, why didn't you say anything? He goes, I didn't think about it. So we're like, oh, okay. One time he came home. I came home. My wife's on the phone going, uh, yeah, that's really cool that David's doing animation for the Seattle Seahawks games. And she looks at me and goes, David doing that? Didn't even tell us. He was doing animations. They were playing the Seattle Seahawks games. He was working for the Seattle Seahawks. Didn't even tell us. He's living in our house. That's how introverted he can be. So I walk up and I say, oh. And we, we realized at an early age that he had a gift that way. He could draw Disney characters when he was four and five years old. He did stuff for his school, and and they made him they made him get back give back the T-shirts because it looked like he'd actually done the real work, and they thought they might get sued. When he was a little kid, he could do stuff like and he he loves kids, he loves animation, he loves he worked on the barnyard, the movie, and it's amazing when you see someone's gifts, you 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 raise them up, you recognize them, and then you release them, and then you empower them. Say, how can we as leaders help you do what God's called you to do? And people say, but you keep releasing these people, and aren't you afraid they're going to leave? Well, they're going to leave the place where they're being released to do what they were called to do, to go somewhere where they're going to sit in a bench and watch? I don't think so. Who wants to play, get suited up for a hockey game and sit in the penalty box or on the bench the whole game? You want to get in the fray, don't you? Amen? So, Father, I just pray for the simple words that I shared, that somehow that people would realize they have supernatural leadership abilities in them. And there's so many resources. You spoke to me earlier and said there's so many resources in this room of things in their people's lives that need to be released and untapped and poured into the next generation. 
that will release them into the destiny that God's called them to. Thank you that you're going to cause a shift in Nova Scotia. Thank you that the fire of God is going to fall in this place. Thank you for the impartation of the Holy Spirit, Lord. And I pray that supernatural leaders will be raised up even from this meeting that would change the course of Nova Scotia, that would change the course of nations, that would change the course of cities and destinies, and that you would cause the church in North America to rise up and once again be on fire like it has been in the past. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Dr. List, my dear friend and one of my spiritual fathers that I greatly love and admire. Well, I want you to stand, please. <clears throat> I was taught by, in seminary, by a professor that said, the mind can only retain what the, your bottom can endure. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, I, I know how that is sometimes. <laughs> and so I just greet the person beside you and shake their hand. And uh, that's the, uh, I know the Nova Scotian people have a way of greeting. So it's good to see you, all of you here. Thank you, Pastor Dan, for a wonderful uh, word that you gave us. And uh, it's so wonderful to be in Nova Scotia again. I feel like I'm home. And um, you may be seated. <clears throat> Pastor Dan and I have been friends for many, many years. And uh, what a joy it is to walk together. And uh, he's being led by the Spirit of God. He has a wonderful church. Uh, the sanctuary is packed in both services. And uh, it's just growing and growing. They just uh, purchased new land to add additional, I think, 110 parking spaces. And uh, God is just blessing that ministry. And uh, that's when we're home. It's where we attend. And... Um, our grandchildren attend there, and our kids, our daughter and her husband, uh, and they thoroughly enjoy it. And uh, it's wonderful. Pastor Dan and I have traveled to a number of countries together. We just got off a trip to the South Pacific, the Cook Islands in New Zealand, and uh, he's been to Colombia. We've been to Colombia together and different places, and uh, the Lord is just circling us around the globe. It's wonderful to be in Nova Scotia and, uh, and uh, to feel the presence of the Lord. There are people praying uh, across from coast to coast in, in the United States praying for Nova Scotia. I don't know what it is, but there's something unique you have about you that God's concerned about and God's wanting to bless you. And so he's putting it on the hearts of people all over the world, all over the nations to pray for you. And uh, thank you for hearing the voice of the Lord. And uh, I'm, I'm actually, um, my bloodline, I'm, I'm a Kiwi by birth, New Zealand. And uh, I remember I was in Fiji uh, speaking to the nation in the big stadium and the, had dinner with the president and um, that night. And uh, he asked me a question. He said, uh, is it Douglas? He said, he said, now, the New Zealand rugby team, seven, is playing the Fijian seven. And he said, now, who are you going to cheer for? And I said, Mr. President, I said, since I'm your guest, I will cheer for Fiji. But my heart is with New the All Blacks, New Zealand. And he looked at me and said, you're a very wise man. 
And so I've learned to be careful in those nations. But I, I, it's, it's so wonderful to see what God is doing around the world. There are the, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ is exploding worldwide. And souls are coming into the kingdom. It's so hard to keep up with. They, trying to, they did a study trying to, to keep up with the growth of the body of Christ around the world. They said it's, all, it's changing daily, multiplying daily. Muslims are coming to the Lord by the thousands every 24 hours around the world. And I've talked to so many of them how they've had supernatural visitations by the Holy Spirit. Christ has appeared to them in their, in, in their bedroom while they're sleeping. And marvelous things have been happening. So I know that God's hand is upon Nova Scotia. It's going to be very vital in this end time outpouring of the Holy Spirit around the world. And I want you to be encouraged because everything does not have to be perfect and in order for God to move. I don't know why we get this in our head that we've got to make everything just 100% perfect and then God's going to step on the scene. Notice what Jesus did. He walked on the water when it was in a storm mode. <laughs> he didn't calm it before he walked on it. But he walked in the middle of chaos. And I remember a number of years ago, I was flying into to Amsterdam in the Netherlands to, to speak at a conference in La Hague uh, of pastors from all over Europe. And as the plane was circling over Amsterdam, I was recalling of all that I had read about the moral decay of the Netherlands. You know how drugs were legal, everything was legal, prostitution, you name it. And as the plane was circling, I had been praying before for the conference. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, I'm going to outpour, pour out my spirit upon the Netherlands. It will be the beginning of a great move of God across Europe in the, in the, in the coming days. And all of a sudden, as I was looking out the window, I said, huh? Netherlands? And I said, why? He said, because I'm God. <laughs> oh, hello? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's like, because he's God. He can visit your loved ones in the midst of the hellish environment and invade that realm and bring forth salvation to that lost loved one. It's so important. So he moves in the midst of turmoil. And that's what I love about it is, is God is God. And, he, he, and, and, and as I was praying and, and seeking the Lord concerning the Netherlands, God put three things into my spirit strongly. And I'm going to lay this into, into your understanding here. There's coming a great move of revival of repentance to the body. You're going to find people repenting in the restaurants, on the jobs, in the homes, in the schools, and in your churches, breaking down and repenting before God. 
So get ready for that. The second thing he said, there's coming a move of the Spirit of forgiveness. What good is repentance without forgiveness? Repentance and forgiveness. Forgiveness releases the stain of sin through Jesus Christ and people are going to rise up and you're going to see their entire complexion change. Walking out with a glow on their face. Peace dwelling in. And the third thing he said, following forgiveness is coming praise. Repentance Forgiveness and praise in this coming move in Nova Scotia. Oh, praise the Lord. Get ready for that, of walking into an atmosphere of the glory of God and praise will just start bubbling up inside of you and you'll start praising the Lord. (laughs) So get ready. The flesh may be embarrassed at times. The other day, I walked into the grocery store, and I'm walking down an aisle. I don't know about you, but I'm, you know, I'm the man of the house. But my wife gives me a grocery list. <laughs> she said, "Honey, while you're out there," <laughs> I said, "Honey, what are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm reading." <laughs> and uh, so, so I go shopping, and I'm walking down the aisle. Pastor Bruce, and I'm walking down the aisle, and all of a sudden, something wells up in me, and I start praising the Lord in, 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 in tongues and praising the Lord in the Holy Spirit. And, and I keep walking down the aisle, and I, I get through. I'm looking for bread, and I keep looking for bread, and, and the joy of the Lord just wells up in me, and I start singing to myself. And I go down another aisle, and wow, I'm just walking in this presence. And I'm thinking, who walked ahead of me and created this atmosphere in the grocery store? And I was wondering, what am I going to do when I go to the checkout? But the Holy Spirit subsided himself in me till I checked out. And when I stepped out in the parking lot, whoosh, I started singing at the top of my lungs. And I got in the car all the way home. That's what I'm talking about. God is going to explode in Nova Scotia. Praise on the job, in the restaurants, in your schools, all over the place. Get ready for it. Oh, hallelujah. As for me and my house, we will praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Oh, you may be in the bathroom showering, whatever, but the Holy Spirit will start put a song in you. Working at the bench. Get ready. Oh, hallelujah. Let the praises of God rise up within you. Repentance. Forgiveness. Start preaching it. Oh, hallelujah. That the debt's been paid. <laughs> You don't have to work out your debt. It's been paid. Hallelujah.
And in that, there's coming the praise. You've been forgiven. Praise the Lord. They look at your credit account, it's A1. You can draw on the bank of heaven to the max. There's no restriction. Get ready, Nova Scotia. Hallelujah. And it can start anywhere. I've been in a move of God a number of years ago in Louisiana to the, a church that broke out in the church and they asked me to come. They said, Brother Stephen, would you come and, and just, I want, we want you just to stay, visit here and, 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 and see what God is doing and let us know, are we okay? It broke out in the church through the youth. They wanted to pray. On a Wednesday night where they had no service, 14 teenagers gathered together, cried out to God. The Holy Spirit broke out in that church, and the church was exploding with people coming in. Jehovah Witness, Mormons coming in, drawn by the power of the Holy Spirit. And while I was there, the poor pastor, he was the pathetic thing. Because he was no good. The power of the Holy Spirit would arrest him in church and he would just sit there motionless for hours with a smile on his face. And he couldn't walk. So the elders would come and pick him up, take him home at one o'clock in the morning, sit him on the couch. People were getting healed and Saved all through that ministry. And we, while I was there, the principal called the church from the high school and says, please, can you come out and check and tell us what's going on? Our young people are in the hallways laying down, crying and praising Jesus and singing songs. And, and we don't know what's going on. What is this? And so Pastor Tommy, we went to the high school and we said, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. The students started repenting one to another. This is what God is bringing into Nova Scotia. Hallelujah. But you're saying, but Brother Steve, I'm not the perfect leader or the perfect pastor. Who is? God's not looking for perfection. He's looking for the willingness. So get ready to be willing to be used of God. And you will say, but how can God use me? I want you to know, when he called you, he chose well. It's part of all of your inconsistencies. He knew that before he called you. He knew you would make big mistakes. He knew you would stumble. He knew you would lose it. But he called you. And he chose well. Because it's not according to your abilities. It's by his grace. And he shines greater. Do you remember when he called Jonah? And what did Jonah do? He didn't want to go to a city and, and preach repentance or a city he hated. And you know well how he decided he'd go to somewhere else. 
Do you don't think God knew that ahead of time? A rebellious, unlistening person? But God chose him. Because God knows the end results first. Notice what God did with Jonah. He was patient. But I like what happened to Jonah. This you can preach. The destiny was the same destiny. He didn't change it on Jonah when he came back and repented. He had the same same assignment. He had the same message. He couldn't change the message to the same destination. And in spite of all your goof-ups, God will send you to the same destination with the same message and the same location by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and he will move. He's not putting you on restriction. He's a forgiving God. So Nova Scotia, I'm excited what, what, what God is revealing to me by the Holy Spirit. You see, what, what we don't realize, we are more than who we think we are. You're more than who your mother and father says you are. You're a child of God. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, it says, Before you were conceived in your mother's womb, I chose you. And many times people ask me, they said, How do you feel? I see, I, I, I feel a captive to the will of God. And that's what we are. <laughs> because He chose you. And you've become a captive to the will of God. No matter how you deviate, He'll pull you back into it and bring you right into that dimension of what's purpose in your life. Before you were conceived in your mother's womb, I knew you. It was interesting, many years ago, as a little boy, my dad used to tell the story. My father got saved under Smith Willsworth Ministry in New Zealand. He was pursuing a career in Shakespeare, in acting, He became the British Commonwealth champion, Shakespearean. And that night that uh, they were having a big celebration in New Zealand of his winning that uh, title and that great uh, honor, he said that he walked out of the big celebration party at 1 o'clock in the morning and he had his tux on. And as he was, he said, I walked, and his dad was saying, he said, I walked down the street and I was crying because I was empty on the inside. He said, I thought everything that the world could give you would satisfy the longing. And I want you to know the world out there is pursuing all their desires, but they're not going to satisfy them. But you have the answer. It's Jesus. So simple. It's so marvelous. 
And my dad was just walking down the street, and Jack Belcher, that finally became his brother-in-law, was coming from an all-night prayer meeting in Lower Hutt, New Zealand, and he walked, and he recognized my dad walking down the sidewalk. And he walked up to my dad, because they went to school together, high school, and uh, he said, Bill, what are you doing walking out here? Why aren't you in the, at your party at City Hall? And my dad began to cry. He said, I thought this would be everything, but it's empty. And Jack said, I know what you need. Come on, follow me. He took my dad back to an all-night prayer meeting where Smith Wigglesworth was. My dad got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And they took him home. And his father asked for doctors to come and examine him because he had a strange language. And they said, we think he's kind of had a nervous breakdown over, the, over this great title that he, he just received. So for hours, my dad said, they finally in the afternoon, he was able to communicate in English. And he told them what had happened. He said, I'm changing my career. It was in the meeting that my mother and father were sitting together. And, and Smith Wigglesworth uh, came up to them, and they were just boyfriend and girlfriend, and he just put his hand on this. He said, you're going to Africa as missionaries, and then God will call your children and their children to carry the gospel around the world. I want you to know my parents spent the rest of their life in Africa. That's where I grew up. And now there's children, I'm one of them, that we've been going around the world. And now the grandchildren are going. This is the God that we serve. Your calling goes beyond you. So watch who you touch and who you speak into because it's got life. And the Holy Spirit will ignite it. (laughs) Oh, for the glory of the kingdom of God around Nova Scotia and around throughout Canada and around the world. Because living inside of you is the birthing spirit of God of a great move of the Holy Spirit. Start dropping those seeds of the spirit of God. Because you're more than who you think you are. You're a child of God. And you take no second place to the powers of darkness. You walk in, not in pride, not in arrogance, but you walk in confidence, knowing that the King of Kings resides in you in spirit and in truth. Praise the Lord. I know my time is about gone, but I, uh, I will share some more later on. There are times that you don't have to say a word because you carry the Shekinah glory inside of you. I was in North Carolina not very long ago. And I had rented a car in Charlotte, and I'd, I was doing some uh, speaking engagements in different cities. And I drove back to Charlotte and turned it in at the car rental place. And the bus came to pick me up and take me to the airport. And when it did, 
it, it pulled up, and I was the last one on the bus. It was packed. And as we got to the airport, the bus driver, I was standing next to him because it was so full, said, sir, could you remain? I want to talk to you. He said, do you have a moment? I said, sure. I had plenty of time to catch my flight. As they, as they got off the bus, he helped me out with my luggage. He said, tell me, sir, who are you? I was just dressed very casual. I said, what do you mean? I thought maybe I was in trouble or something. He said, no, tell me, who are you? He said, the moment you stepped on this bus, the atmosphere changed. I want to know who you are. I said, I'm a minister of Jesus. He said, I knew it. I knew it. He said, because there was a presence that accompanied you on this bus. And he said, I've been exposed to that, and I know what it is. I said, what is it? He said, it's the Holy Spirit. He said, will you pray for me? And there he bowed his head and began to pray. And the Lord spoke these words to me. He said, you cannot be hid. So rise up in the understanding that the King of Kings abides within you and the glory of the Lord dwells within you. Your name is written in the land's book of life and all heaven knows who you are. So walk in that authority that God has for the glory of the Lord is shone around you. So rejoice in that. So lift yourself up out of that dungeon because God chose well when he chose you. Glory to God. Stand with me, will you? Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm seeing in the Holy Spirit garments falling off of you that the enemy has put on you. He's put on you doubt. He's put on you, as it were, garments of depression, of unworthiness, all of these things. And today God said, I want to re-equip you. I want to re-garment you with the praise of glory because that is not your destiny. Father, in the name of Jesus, we lift your servants before your throne of grace. We thank you for the, the healing balm of Gilead applying to their wounds and their pains of walking this journey of life in their calling. Father, we thank you that you are the restorer of joy. Baptize them in the Holy Spirit of joy and gladness. For, Lord, they have worked faithfully. They've done well. And now, Lord, we thank you for the garment of praise that you're putting on Nova Scotia. <laughs> oh, glory. Hallelujah. I want you to lift your hands towards heaven and just start praising the Lord. Just start praising him. Praising him. Oh, hallelujah. 
Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your faithfulness. Oh, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Lord, we glorify your name. We praise you. We praise you, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. We praise you, Lord. Just shake off that old garment of that the enemies try to put on you. Shake off that past. <laughs> Just shake it off of you. Get rid of it. It's not what you were born for. It's not whom God says you are. Oh, praise the Lord. Glory to God. The scripture says, put on the garment of praise. A number of years ago, I was with a friend of mine, Emmanuel Iliad. He's a rabbi of Tiberias. And I was sitting in his home, and we were talking till midnight. And I said, Rabbi, please tell me, what is this garment of praise? His eyes lit up, and a smile come on his face. He said, every Jewish home, the women would have a garment that was the, the, their choice garment. And it was always hanging by the door. And when the trumpet would go out in the city, a certain blast, it meant that there was royalty coming. And there was a conquering king or a general or a prince or queen. And they would run and grab this garment and they would throw it over their shoulders and run to the main thoroughfare. And so they could see the coming king or the coming general and, and or prince or princess. And they would take the garment and they would throw it in the highway so that the chariot or the horse could go over it or they would walk over it. And this became a treasure because they were coating the garment that street with garments. That's what happened to Jesus. They threw their garments in the way. That was the garment of praise. And then they said she would take it and take it to the house and hang it back up and say, the king, the king wrote over this. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> Put on the garment of praise for heaviness. For the King of Glory is in the midst tonight. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And you're going to take home a trophy to hang in your home and say the Holy Spirit came upon me in such and such an hour, at such and such a time. I felt the glory of the Lord and the glory touching me. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. Praise the name of Jesus.